Who here is a child of the 80s? Anybody? Yeah, there's a few, well, not that many actually. There's more in the previous service. Yeah, I'm a child of the 80s. Yeah, I was born in 1978. You're figuring out, aren't you? He's 40. He doesn't look 40. <laughs> my, uh, my, my eldest daughter, Lucy, she's taken to giving me advice recently. And the most recent advice was, Daddy, you have way too much gray hair, you should dye your hair. I mean, where did that come from? I don't, I don't need to dye my hair. But, uh, you know, all of that to say, love the 80s, big fan of the 80s. Uh, you know, it seems to me that the 80s were the decade that we thought we could achieve anything. You know, all those technological advances, some great inventions in the 80s. What about the Sony Walkman? Oh, yeah, that revolutionized our life, right? CDs? Nice, brilliant. Camcorders? I mean, they were pretty big at the time, of course, but, you know, they were very cool. But my personal favorite, the computer. The personal home computer. That, for me, revolutionized my life. And um, I remember my first computer. I think everyone remembers their first computer. Uh, my brother and I, we grew up in Winchmore Hill with mum and dad in North London. And I was about six, and we went to the school fete in summer. And I love school fates because there are lots of stuff, but there was always this table which just sold stuff, right? Just a mixture of everything. On one side, you'd get these well-worn books and broken games. The other side, you'd get what always seemed to be that green crockery set. You know the ones that are in every school hall and church hall throughout the land? They are always sold at these fates. But <clears throat> as we you know, went around the table, what did we uncover? This shiny plastic box. Oh, it was a computer. We thought, surely they've left it here by mistake, but no, they were selling it for a few quid. And so Dave and I pestered mum and dad and they kindly bought it for us. And we got in the car, but we realized there was a serious problem. You see, this computer console game thing took batteries. Uh, dad, do you have these batteries? No, son, we do not. Now here's the problem on a Sunday in the early 80s in a Christian family. Daddy, can we go to the shops and buy some batteries? No, son, we cannot. We do not shop on Sundays. By the way, that's no bad thing. I quite like that idea. We should probably recapture the Sabbath, eh? But anyway, that's a different thing. Um, and we were disappointed. Oh, Dad, please. And so we get home, and Dave and I laid it on the floor and just stared at it for the whole day. You know, imagine what these amazing games would be. Anyway, the next day came, and we got the batteries, and we plugged it into the TV. Oh, wow. Pong. Who remembers Pong? It was the most amazing thing. Yes, it was in black and white, but our expectations were not high in those days. It was the most amazing thing we had ever seen. But all of a sudden, something terrible happened. We ran out of lives. Oh, no. But then this curious phrase came up, and oh, so alluring. It said, play again, question mark. Oh, we get to play again. This is amazing. Boys, have you finished? No, no, we're playing again. <laughs> And this phrase, play a game, would become a feature of our childhood. You know, we upgraded eventually to the Atari ST, a great game. And as you know, the games, games got more complex and the graphics were better. And you'd be on games with different levels and uh, it would get difficult. And uh, you always played it with the hope that you'd get to the very end and see these most amazing graphics. And your friends would regale you of the stories in the playground of how they had won and the most amazing thing you've ever seen. And you'd get back home and think, I've got to win. And here's the thing, when you're playing it, you never could see what the end game looked like, but you did it in hope. And it was never plain sailing, was it? You'd get to a certain level, and you'd feel like you lost, and all your lives are depleted, but then up comes the phrase, play again, question mark. 
I tell this humorous story, but it's quite interesting because in many respects, walking this walk with Jesus is not too dissimilar. In fact, John Wimber, the founder of Vineyard, used to use this phrase, didn't he? Everyone gets to play. Everyone gets to play in this great mission that we find ourselves on. You know, this Christian walk, this mission, this great adventure, which we all have the privilege of being part of, is a game where the stakes have never been higher, but the reward at the end is literally out of this world. Sorry, I apologize. That was quite a nice one there. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> For some of us, you've just started on this game. You might be on level one or level two. For others, you are well advanced and you carry all the rewards with you, but also the bruises and the batters, but you're about to get to the prize. But irrespective of where we find ourselves, we have all experienced that moment where it just seems too hard. It looks like all of our lives are depleted. And what comes up? Jesus says, play again. We are called never to give up, never to hit the reset button. But instead, this morning, Jesus is saying to each and every one of us, play again. I've got something great for you. And throughout the Bible and church history, we, don't we see men and women of God who have played again? What about Ruth? The great Ruth, she played again with her mother-in-law, Naomi. When Ruth's husband died, all looked lost for her. But in that moment of despair... <clears throat> In that moment of not knowing where to go next and how to survive, what did God say to Ruth and Naomi? Play again. And Ruth and Naomi got up and they followed the call of God to go to Bethlehem, where she met Boaz. And they went on to have a son, Obed, who had David, which established the line of David. And as we know, Jesus came. You see, that one woman, if she had hit reset, history would be different. But she chose to say yes to Jesus. I'm going to press play again. What about Peter? He played again, didn't he? In that moment of denying Christ, not once, not twice, but three times, it looked like game over. He had been beaten. He was scared. He was running. He had no options. He had nowhere to go. But in that moment of despair, God said, play again. And we know Jesus restored Peter. He says, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. Imagine if Peter didn't play again, but decided to turn it off. History would be a lot different. And here's the thing this morning. There are many Ruths and Peters here right now. Maybe you've got to the point where it feels like game over. Maybe it's in your marriage. You feel like hitting the reset button. I'm here to tell you Jesus is saying play again. Maybe in your friendships, God is saying, play again. In an area of sin, in many number of areas, it seems that you've lost and you've stopped to win and Jesus is saying, play again. And Jesus is saying, don't forget the prize. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's difficult. Yes to all those things and more, but it is worth it. Why? Because you're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. And so it is within this context that the Apostle Paul writes to the Philippians, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. Turn with me to Philippians 3. Uh, it's going to be on the screen as well, verses 13 and 14. And we're going to use this text as a bit of a platform to dive into the teaching this morning. Let me read this to you. This is what Paul says. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. I've yet to get to that point. But one thing I do... 
forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Amen. Wow, how encouraging for us all. That game is being played out. And so the teaching I want to look at this morning are three things. Number one, what are we playing for? What is our mission? Number two, I want to look at why do we stop playing? And lastly, I want to equip us as we move out of this place this morning of how we can indeed play again. So let's look at the first question. What are we playing for? What's our mission? Well, there's a few things. I've got three. The first one I, I just want to touch on is, is the ultimate one. It is this, knowing Christ. Intimacy with him. You know, Paul, in verse 8, in the preceding verses, he says this, in the context of the previous life he led, he said, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. That is why we are on this amazing mission, to know Christ, for his life to be alive in us that we will be still and know that he is God. Don't give up pressing in and pressing on with Jesus and saying, I want you more. As a psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. The second thing then I want to touch on before I get to the one I want to dive into is being sanctified. What does that mean? It's a technical term that means that we, we go from one degree of glory to the next and as we are... Um, conform to the likeness of his son, that the sin sheds off us and we walk in that divine nature that Jesus has purchased by his blood. You know, it means living a life that is holy. We looked at that recently, didn't we? That series called Different. A life which means to be set apart for him. You know, we're called to live sinless, blameless lives, as Paul says, to throw off the sin that hinders us to run this race. You know, Paul says here, doesn't he? Forgetting what lies behind and if you're in sin this morning, let me just pause and say this. If you've come to the conclusion that that habitual sin in your life has won and you've settled in it, God is saying, play again. Wake up and play again. Don't let sin take dominion over you. Why? Because we are the head and not the tail. We have dominion over sin in the name of Jesus. So don't leave this place getting back into sin, but move forward by the blood of Jesus. And the third thing is the thing I want to focus on. What is this game that we're playing for? What is our mission? It is this, ushering in God's kingdom here on earth, the great commission. Let's read that together, Matthew 28, verse 19. Jesus says this, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let me just say, this is not just for the disciples. This is not just for the pastor on the stage or your more holy friend. Quotes. This is not for someone who volunteers on a Sunday. This is not for your neighbor next door. This is for you. This is for us. Jesus is calling us to be his hands and feet, to usher in his presence, to pray for the sick. What a great testimony we heard earlier. Trevor prayed for Addie and his back got healed. That could be any one of you casting out demons, standing up for justice, for the oppressed, for the marginalized in our society. That is the great call. That is the great game and mission that Jesus has for each one of us. 
And you know, I just want to say this, just like any good game, you'll get equipment for the game ahead. What do I mean by that? You know, God has promised us a supernatural toolbox of gifts that we can use. 1 Corinthians 12, 8 and 10, Paul says this, there are gifts of word of wisdom, words of knowledge, faith, gifts of healings, miracles, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, tongues and interpretation of tongues. This is your spiritual toolbox to get through those levels. This is not for a bygone era that ended when the apostles left. This is for today. This is for us now. This is God's promise. And for some of us, we've stopped asking Jesus. We're battered on level five and we know that we can't get to level six unless we can walk in these gifts. And so I'd encourage you this morning, as Paul says, earnestly seek the gifts. These are for you. Yes, for you, for me, for us. I'd like to introduce you to someone. This is George Mueller. You can see it's not a recent photograph. <laughs> he was certainly a man who had the gift of faith. He was born in 1805 and he changed the face of Victorian England by a love for children and specifically for orphans. He single-handedly established Ashley Down Orphanage in Bristol in a society which, quite frankly, at the time, couldn't care less. During his lifetime, he cared for over 10,000 orphans and provided educational opportunities to the point that he was even accused by some of, and I quote, raising the poor above their natural station in British life. He established over 117 schools which offered Christian education to more than 120,000 children. He knew his mission. He knew the game that Jesus had for him. What's your game this morning? What mission has God got for you to usher in his kingdom and change the world? What has God placed on your heart? What's that burning passion that you might have forgotten about that God right now in this moment is rekindling? What field of mission do you find yourselves in? Whether it be in the office or your friendship groups or your sphere of influence. We all have spheres of influence that we can administer Jesus' love. And so uh, that's the mission we are talking about. Is that a computer game? Oh, nice. I like that. You've completed level three. <laughs> so moving on, but why do we stop playing? Why is it that we shrink back? I want to look at three things. The first thing is this, we think we're in someone else's game, that we don't have a mission at all. You know, I'm struck by the words Paul uses. He says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Not us, me. You have been called. Not the person sitting next to you, not your neighbor, not the pastor on the stage, as I've said before, but you. Don't look at other people's games. And this, I, I speak to so many people, and the trap we fall into that the enemy sets up is you look at somebody else's life and game, you think, well, look at what they're doing. I couldn't possibly. And then what happens? We shrink back. No, God's got a game for you. He's crafted a, and put together a most amazing adventure that if you got the game out of the console and looked at it, it'll have your name on it. And underneath it will say, brought to you by Jesus. Or more specifically, brought by the blood of Jesus. Don't miss out on your game. Don't miss out on the mission that God has for you. You know, it says in Ephesians 2.10 that God has prepared good works for you to walk in before the founding of the earth. The God who knitted you together in your mother's womb, as it says in the psalm, who made you intentionally, also has a plan for your life intentionally. 
He is not the kind of creator God that creates you, then sits back in his armchair and thinks, right, let's just see what they get up to. That's not the God we serve. He wants you to feel that success of walking in all that he has for you. And indeed, that is the definition of success, doing that which God has called you to do. So don't miss out. Don't miss out. Number two, the world around us batters us, accuses us, rejects us, persecutes us. And so we shrink back and we we don't hit play again. Let me say this, the higher the level, the more the resistance. The closer to the prize, the harder it gets. Let me say, persecution is evidence that you're taking ground from the enemy. What does the Bible say? It says the enemy roars around like a prowling lion looking to devour us. 1 Peter 4.12, Peter says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. We are in a spiritual battle. As Paul says, this battle is not against flesh and blood but in principalities and powers. This is a most amazing game and the stakes are high. I'd like to introduce you to Sabrina and Richard Wormbrand from Romania. They both died recently in 2000 and 2001 respectively. Now Richard was a minister of the gospel in Romania and when the communists seized Romania in 1945 and attempted to take control of the churches, Peter Wormbrand began an effective, vigorous underground ministry to oppress believers as well as for the Russian soldiers that actually occupied his country. Amazing. But three years later, they were both arrested. Sabrina was imprisoned as a slave laborer for three years, and Richard was imprisoned for a total of 14 years, with three of those spent in solitary confinement, 12 feet underground, in complete silence and darkness. And in that moment, God said, play again. And Sabrina and Richard went on to found the Voice of the Martyrs ministry, where they traveled throughout the world, establishing a network of more than 30 offices that even today provides relief to families and imprisoned Christians in Islamic nations, communist nations, and other countries where Christians are persecuted because of their faith. Why? Because two people said, yes, we're going to play again. Maybe the stand you took in the office has meant you've shrunk back, but in the corner of the room is the screen flashing play again. Don't shrink back. Take ground for the Lord. Maybe the family have silenced you and sidelined you because of your faith and think you're crazy and so you stop talking about Jesus. God is saying to you this morning, play again? Question mark. Maybe your friendship groups, they think you're a cuckoo but there's something in your heart beating fast that you want to pray for a friend that's sick, but you've yet to do it. And Jesus is saying, play again. There's healing coming. Don't let any of these things stop you completing your mission. I am personally so struck by this story of Richard and Sabrina that these people in the depths of despair and literal darkness were able to play again. That is encouraging and inspirational. And the last area I want to look at in terms of why we stop playing is may not be any of those things, but it could be fear, uncertainty, doubt, a sense of being overwhelmed will stop us playing again. 
I'd like to introduce you to the wonderful Jackie Pullinger. Some of you know Jackie, MBE. <clears throat> She's a British-born missionary to Hong Kong and founder of the St. Stephen Society, which provides rehabilitation homes for recovering drug addicts, prostitutes, and gang members. She has been ministering in, in Hong Kong since 1966. I'd like to read you a bit of her story. <clears throat> I remember an incident after I had been in Hong Kong for a very short time. Walking down a street in the walled city, since torn down, I met a young boy who looked like a skeleton. He was so vanished that he staggered around the streets. I didn't know anything about drug addicts in those days, but he just looked so sick. I stopped somebody and asked them to write out in Chinese the name of a doctor. I gave Zian the note and told him that if he would go, I would pay the doctor. But he never went. Later, I got somebody to write that I would meet him the next day at 10 o'clock. He was obviously hungry, but he never came. Very slowly, after a few years, I won Zian's trust. I found out he'd been a heroin addict since he was nine. He was then about 15. He slept in the streets. I persuaded him to go to a drug center and I found a pastor who would take him there. Very slowly, after a few years, I won Zian's trust. I found out he had been a heroin addict since he was nine. When it was time for him to be admitted, I got up very early, went out and brought him a new swimsuit, underclothed t-shirts and a towel. Finally, two hours late, he arrived and I got him to the pastor. Then I went home and slept for 24 hours. I was emotionally and physically exhausted. The strain of ministry had been enormous. I was so relieved that this pastor had Zian. He would get off drugs and learn more about the Lord. My responsibilities were over. Jackie, I'm really sorry. I could hear panic in my pastor's friend's voice. His early morning call woke me. Zian has run away from the center. I felt a wave of nausea sweep over my stomach. The pastor went on to say, not only has he run away from the center, but he has also stolen some money. We've chased him and tried to persuade him to come back, but he won't. I felt dead. Well, God, there you are. That's it. It isn't that I don't want to go on. I just can't. I used up all my heart on Zian. I thought then that when my heart was used up, there wasn't any more. So I got onto the bus to go to my language lesson. I found myself staring at another young drug addict. I turned away and said, God, enough is enough. My heart is too small. I used up what little I had, and I have no more. It was then that God taught me a profound lesson about ministry to the poor. When your heart is broken over one of his children, he gives you his. When he gives you his heart, you can start to love again. The only way a heart gets bigger and has more room for God's love is by being broken. Wow. In that moment of despair, in that moment of fear, uncertainty and doubt and feeling overwhelmed, Jackie made a choice to play again. And thank God she did. She went on to launch that ministry that has saved thousands upon thousands of drug addicts on the streets of Hong Kong. Why? Because one woman decided to say yes to Jesus. I'm going to play again. Who's going to say yes to Jesus this morning?
What area of your life is Jesus saying, play again? Because I'm telling you now, the future is brighter than the past. That you can be victorious in Christ. And that he has an amazing and wonderful mission for each and every one of us. So why do we stop playing? We think that someone else has a game and not us. Jesus has a game for you. The world around us batters us and persecutes us. But that just shows we're taking ground from the enemy. Press on and press in. And lastly, fear, uncertainty and doubt. Now, hopefully you feel as inspired as I do and stirred. But here's the thing. We walk out this building, it's difficult, isn't it? So I just want to equip us very briefly in these final moments. And by the way, this is a list that you can go away and I want you to study and meditate on them and just think them through. But hopefully this is helpful as you think about how you can respond to this. I'd like to invite the band up as I go through these. Here's a list of six, six things to help you play a game. The first is this, praise. You know, Paul says in chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice. And in fact, he starts chapter 3 with rejoice. In fact, I would go on to say the whole theme of Philippians is rejoice. You know, there was a few years ago, I was in a situation where it looked so bleak. In the middle of a business transaction, and in the final moment, it fell apart. And in that moment, I was facing financial ruin. I was facing humiliation. I just wanted to hit reset. I couldn't even get out of bed, it was that bad. But that following Sunday, I was down to preach on praise. <laughs> God's got a sense of humor, hey? And Richard, bless him, said, Mark, you know, you don't need to preach if you don't want to. I said, you know what? There was something deep in me. I didn't want to hit reset. I'd come too far. The prize was too great. Yes, I walk with a limp still from that moment. But in that moment, I got down deep and I praised Jesus. You see, praising God is not about what He's given you. That's thanksgiving. It's about who He is. And as we take our eyes off our situation and look to God, and as we praise Him, we see the prize that awaits and we experience His presence. And so if that's you this morning, praise Him. Praise Him. A garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. Number two, prayer. Paul goes on in chapter four to say, present your request to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Come to him with your needs and your anxiety and lay it at the foot of the cross. You know, our friend George Mueller did all of that with prayer. He never asked for a single dime, but do you know how much money his ministry had? 1.3 million pounds which in today's money is 115 million pounds, and he didn't ask for a cent. His testimony includes 50,000 prayers that were answered, 5,000 prayers were answered on the very same day of asking. Wow. Forget what lies behind, number three, press on. You know, some of you, you gotta leave your stuff at that door. That baggage, that shame, that guilt that the enemy will condemn you and say, well, you're not good enough. Just leave it at the door because Jesus is getting his angels ready to pick them up and put them at the foot of the cross. You know, Eric mentioned to me in between the services that when the prayer team prayed, they had a picture of that very thing. Eric had that word that people should be leaving that stuff at the door. That's you, do it. Number four, faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hebrews 11:6. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. Get into his word. Find out his promises for you because they are yes and amen. Yes, you are more than conquering Christ Jesus. Number five, play with others. 
This is a great multiplayer game. You weren't created to do it on your own. And lastly, number six, remember the prize ahead. We are here for a fleeting moment. Let's spend ourselves, we're gonna spend ourselves on something. Let's spend it on an eternal glory that note that dust or rust can't get. I wanna leave you with a story. In 1968, the Mexican Olympics took place. In the marathon event, a guy called John Akwari was running for his country, Tanzania. At the 19 kilometer point, he fell badly, wounding and dislocating his knee, plus his shoulder hit hard against the pavement. The winner of the marathon, Mamo Waldi of Ethiopia, finished in two hours and 20 minutes. And when all had come in and people were ready to go home, there was a few thousand people left in the stadium and the sun was setting and word was received that there was one more runner about to finish. In the distance as they looked, they could see number 36 slowly limping through the gate. As he finally crossed the, crossed the finishing line, his leg wrapped in a blood-soaked bandage. A cheer came up from the small crowd. And when interviewed, he was asked the question that was on everyone's lips. Why did you continue running? To which John said this. My country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. What a story. That's our story. Why don't you stand? God did not send His Son Jesus just so that you would start it. His Son Jesus, His blood-soaked body, we've celebrated communion to die for you so that you can finish the race. And for some of you this morning, the Holy Spirit has been prompting you to play again in areas of your life. Don't leave this place without responding to Jesus. Let me just pray. Holy Spirit, would you come now? Come and minister to your people. For those of us that are responding to play again, give us the strength. Help us praise you. Help us walk in faith. Help us to pray and seek your face, Lord. Help us to look for fellowship and help us to set our eyes on the prize ahead. Jesus. Amen.